Greetings, and welcome to Talking Trek to You, where an expert and a noob boldly go through Star Trek episode by episode. My name is JG McCormick, and I'm here with my co-host Kev Kozer. Say hi, Kev. Hi. How are you doing this week? I'm just very confused. We're supposed to be recording our Star Wars recap podcast. I don't know where am I? What is happening? Oh my god, you must have slipped through from a parallel dimension. What's happened? Oh my god. Well, um, yes, gosh, uh, no, uh, uh, just don't be barbaric at me. I can't cope. I'm very passive. <laughs> Um, we all know how Star Wars fans are so barbaric. Yes, that's exactly how it is. Right, before we go any further down this slide, um, I think we better introduce our guest who's joining us on this journey through parallel universes. So say hello, Tony. Hello, Tony. And I thought we were here for a Dark Shadows recap podcast. <laughs> oh, oh my god, there's a third parallel universe. What's going on? I'll never be able to fix it. worse than the Star Wars one. Oh, no. <laughs> well, well, if it's a Dark Shadows one, it would be, yes. Um, <laughs> well, that's me isolated and alienated all of our Dark Shadows fans if you're listening to the podcast. But let's just bang on regardless. Uh, welcome back to the, to uh, the podcast, Tony. It's lovely to have you again. Thank you. Very very good to be back. Hey, now, as as is common, because we're having uh, repeat guests at this point, uh, we don't need to ask you what your relationship with Star Wars or Dark Shadows or Star Trek is at this point in the arc, uh, in the uh, proceedings. So I think we can probably just crack straight on with our episode summary. Um, Kev, over to you. Of course. After a negotiation where Kirk fails to get some lithium crystals from a peaceful society, uh, he, McCoy, Scott, and Uhura beam up to the Enterprise, but a storm interferes with them, and they wind up in an alternate universe where Spock is wearing a goatee. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Um, <laughs> and this alternate universe, the Federation is the Empire. They're very strict and fascist, for lack of a better word. Uh, everyone's trying to kill each other for promotions. Uh, Kirk is quick on the uptake, and they manage to sort of sneak around the Enterprise, get into a lot of scraps. Uh, there is a love interest that is sort of a mirror Kirk's woman who Kirk has to sort of fob off as well. And as they try to distract and sort of keep themselves away from being discovered, mirror Spock does discover what's up um, because they are trying to, Oh, this is another element because they're trying to stop the mirror empire Fed uh, enterprise from destroying the Halkins uh, as is their want. So Kirk, tries to foil that scheme. Mirror Spock catches on. Uh, Kirk defeats him, but saves, gets McCoy to save Spock's life. And so Mirror Spock helps them return to the alternate universe. Or the correct universe, I should say. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Well, I mean, this is a bit of a classic, right? I mean, there's no getting away from just how influential and important this is uh, as an episode. But as we know, uh, important and influential are not always the same thing as good. <laughs> Um, so let's let's find out if it is. Um, Tony, you're a guest, so let's start with you. How did you find this one? This is one of my favorite episodes, and it's definitely one of my favorite episodes of season two. And I have to admit, I'm a sucker for Mirror Universe episodes. I actually love the ones that DS9 did, and one of the few things I like about Discovery is the fact that they did a Mirror Universe storyline, and they borrowed heavily from this particular episode, even though they made some changes that were just dire. But that's fine. But yeah, going back to this one, I'm surprised at how well it holds up, but as is my wont, I usually find some things to nitpick, and there are a few things to nitpick, so it's not perfect, but it's definitely up there with the top ten. 
I think if you had to pick a description for Star Trek Discovery, um, they change stuff and it's dire. <laughs> <It'd be> a, <laughs> <laughs> as, as good a show summary as you can possibly hope for. That's absolutely um, true. <laughs> but before we go down that line, uh, over to you, Kev. How did you find this one? Yeah, I loved it. Uh, we'll definitely get into the details, but it's just such like a tense, like beyond sort of being familiarized with like all the stuff I already knew, I knew about like Spock and a goatee. Like that's just an iconic image. I don't know when I first learned about it. Like it's just such a part of geek culture and just cultural osmosis that, oh, they go to an alternate universe and Spock is a goatee. That is, in, that is something that happens in Star Trek. You never have to see Star Trek and know that's something that happens. And like the mirror universe, like I, I have seen... Uh, against my better judgment, that first season of Discovery. So I also am more familiar with the concept of the Mirror Universe as well. But <laughs> yes, I, it, it's always been a concept for me. And to see it in practice, like without all that baggage, oh, it is just like a great thrilling episode of TV. It's a great little thriller. It's just very fun to see all the dynamics at play. And more than just like, here's a sort of, the mirror science fiction elements of it almost seem less important than the fact that it is just like really tense and really good setup for a lot of great scenes and just a really cracker story. It's yeah. I, I, I'm just kind of impressed how well it works um, given how heady the uh, topic is and how it kind of avoids a lot of tropes with mirror universes. Like no one actually meets their double or explores that aspect of it. It is just kind of, here's a setup for a weird situation for the crew to be in. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think this, I unsurprisingly also really enjoyed this episode as well. I think it's fabulous. Um, and I think the fact that it's prepared to take a few sort of fairly big swings is, is what makes it worse. And like you said, Kev, it, it does avoid a lot of the cliches of sort of parallel universes or, or you know, all that kind of meeting yourself stuff. And that's definitely one of the things which is in its favor. But I think it's also the fact that for, you know, contemporary tele by contemporary television standards, um, it's fairly far out there in terms of its sex and violence without ever really becoming um, completely gratuitous. There's more than enough for us to really buy into the fact that this isn't, you know, just a very light dusting of, uh, you know, alternative reality. It's really a completely different universe and the laws that our crew normally live by simply don't apply. Um, and it's very hard to strike that balance between sort of um, getting enough detail in that you buy into it without it just becoming, becoming prurient and, and sort of, you know, exploitative. Um, and I really admire how well the script is able to strike that balance. Yeah, in fact, I find that the only series that actually does the Mirror Universe concept better, slightly, is Doctor Who. And we know, of course, in their Mirror Universe, everyone loses facial hair rather than gains it. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> I, I think what helps this is that yeah, it's not drowning those cliches because cliches don't exist yet. Like, it really does have this focus on just sort of the practical realities of the situation rather than sort of the theoretical, the philosophical rather uh, concepts at play here, which I mean, you could write great episodes of the philosophical concepts of meeting your universe double or your evil double, so to speak, and such like that. And plenty of stories have been written like that I'm in the wake of this one. Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's some preceding this that also explore that. I'm not quite familiar, but there could be. 
but I think it is to Zepso's credit that it's not it knows what it wants to be and what it wants to be is this really tense and tight a tight in a way we don't usually see these Star Trek episodes but there's so much incident so much happens and it moves at a very quick pace and it's just very fun while doing so and it must have been such a gift to the actors too to oh, be yeah. able to play something so completely different, especially George Takei. George Takei mm-hmm. is amazing in this episode. I can't say enough about him in this. Right. Yeah, oh, he's, yeah. he's genuinely incredible. I I think every actor is doing some of their best work in this episode, and even when you have uh, DeForest Kelly, Nichelle Nichols, and uh, James Doohan still playing sort of the same roles as they usually do. Uh, you get a brief William Shatner as the other Kirk. Uh, they're still like doing great, great stuff in this situation. But of course, Nimoy and Kaning and Takei, especially Takei, as you highlighted, are like incredible in this episode. Like they're playing the alternate universe doubles of themselves. It's just really, really good. And when Uhura has to briefly pretend to be her other self when she's mm. trying to distract Sulu, that's where Nichelle Nichols really shines. Because I, I love how vulnerable she is in this episode and is really immensely scared of what's happening, but she is more than capable. Oh, I yeah. love Nichelle Nichols in this episode. I, she is so great. Everything about her performance is just amazing. And that whole thing when she's in the bridge uh, seducing uh, Sulu is just, it's just amazing work for her. It's, it's one of those episodes that when you watch it and you see how good you, she is, you can't help but lament that she's not given more opportunity to be doing these things, you know, in the show in general, because she just absolutely nails it. And especially the bit I love most about it is actually the bit at the end where she just tells somebody to go and deal with her her console, and then she just sort of struts out of the bridge and yeah. turns around. It is so amazing. She just, she's like, like you know, like decades before, you know, we saw women behaving like this on TV. Uh, you know, there she was just doing it and making it all look so natural, so stylish, and and so powerful. She's just brilliant in that moment. Yeah, and I'm. This is gonna be a very shallow observation, but like her abs in that. Uh, oh my, oh my god! <laughs> I mean, even even as a gentleman who prefers gentlemen, I couldn't help but notice those. I mean, they were I pretty the, unavoidable. I had the exact same reaction. I was like, "Good lord! If a woman could ever turn me, it's this woman with this bare <laughs> midriff." Dear <Yeah>. God. <laughs> um, and another bit of memory alpha, possible apocrypha. Apparently, they had to distract the standards and practices observer that day with a long lunch while they filmed all the scenes where women have like navels showing. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I saw that too, and it. <clears throat> I remember hearing that they actually had relaxed standards and practices by that point because there are a couple mm, of bare midriffs in the first season. That makes so. more sense in that story. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just they wanted to say, ooh, look how hot we got her to be. It's like, no, no, no. She's always hot. Right. Don't bother. (laughs) (laughs) But it is right to say that there was a lot of uh, close scrutiny in this episode to make sure that the sex and violence didn't go too far. Um, Up to the point where there was a line that was dropped, which was uh, something like a damned universe, uh, um, because this was seen to be, you know, somebody who was cursing the whole of creation the line got dropped mm-hmm. because that was that was still a stage too far in 1967 so there were there were some 
roles which were being yeah very closely scrutinized to ensure that they didn't pass standards which leads me to ask when um when we get the oiling my traps darling line <laughs> Was, what, had the person yeah. nipped out for a bathroom break or something? Because <laughs> <laughs> as she stands fully fledged in the doorway, one arm up the side of the thing with this kind of transparent sort of chiffon 1960s blouse thing on. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whoever was watching Standards and Practices that day had clearly popped out for uh, a cigarette break or something. They were trying to convince that person really hard that they meant booby traps, like the little co- computer inside the thing. They're just trying to oil that mechanism that lifts up. That's all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, booby trap sounds even worse in context. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> they never would have allowed that word on television in the 1960s. But yeah, the very the very existence of that character is just skirting the line of standards oh, yeah. and practices, isn't it? Because it's it's not implied she's sleeping her way to the top and will do it again. It's stated. And it's something that I, I think probably they got around it by having Kirk say, essentially, you can do so much more than this. And that may be how they justified it. Yeah, it's... It's interesting line where it's like, yes, Kirk romances a lot of women, but he has to like, this show always has to make us believe that he's in love with them in order to get past standards and practices, I guess. <laughs> um, rather than just, he's just, I mean, which we know with a modern mindset, he probably would be just uh, one night standing his way through the galaxy. But uh, this is, yeah, this is dangerously close to like, sex just for pleasure and not just for romance what are what are you talking about <laughs> so and and for political gain as well which is also like big taboo back then so yeah it's uh it's just very odd uh but welcome it's like a very fun character uh barbara luna uh plays this marlena character and it's just so fun to just throw an extra wrench into this whole episode midway through of this like vamp who is like going to know all about Kirk and foil his schemes. Um, I think in typical Star Trek original series fashion, the Kirk girlfriend of the week is the weakest part of this episode, but she is so strong. That's like not exactly a demerit. Yeah, I agree. She is an amazing actress. I also found out a bit of trivia last night for the first time that amused me to no end, that it took them a month to finish this episode because they they finished most of it and then Barbara Luna came down with strep throat and they hadn't done the kissing scene yet. So they had to wait three weeks to film that until she was better because they couldn't risk having William Shatner come down with it. Right. So that, that was a kiss worth waiting for, definitely. <laughs> it certainly it certainly has its impact. And I think the fact that um, you know, the way they uh the way they play the whole kind of sleeping her way, you know, I'll, I'll go with every captain in the fleet if I have to. Uh, it, 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 it alters the line or the emphasis on the line when they get back to the real universe and the, the you know, like Marlena's just this lieutenant on the bridge and, and sort of Kirk turns to Spock and says, you know, oh, we could be friends. And then there's a slight pause and he says, 
it could happen as if he's very clearly saying, I'm just going to sleep with her. Uh, or, you know, like, you know it's, it's just such a weird emphasis because, like, he says, we right. can be friends. Spock looks at him and says, no, that is not what's going to happen. And then, then Kirk suddenly becomes a bit defensive. We, we could be friends. All right, no, I'm definitely just going to have sex with her. That's all it is going right. to be. It's such a weird emphasis, but it's definitely what they're implying. <laughs> Right. I, I, it's just such a funny idea, too. The idea of Kirk almost wanting to not sleep with someone to prove a point and then knowing he cannot <laughs> be able to. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I, like I've said multiple times, I love these end of episode little joke scenes at the end, and this is another good one. Uh, there's uh, yeah, a lot of other great stuff that maybe we'll talk about at the end of the episode, but there was an, another great joke shot before then. Yeah, it's this is like a very funny episode as well. Like, it's playing it very straight and dramatically as most Star Trek is wont to do, but it's hard not to be introduced to a concept called the agony booth and not just sort of crack a smile. It's very silly. <laughs> yeah, it is a very silly concept, but again, it's one of those ones that kind of resonates like, like the agony oh, yeah. booth is not in any way something which is just restricted to this episode. It might not be quite as famous as Spock's beard, but it, it, it gets out there. It gets into popular culture. Yeah. Um, and, it and, is... you know, is the name of a TV recap website. Mm-hmm. Hey, there we go. Um, and, you know, like Walter Koenig is doing good work to sell it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, maybe that's not quite the right adjective, but uh, yeah, you know, like they make an effort for it. It's 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 ridiculous. And again, I like it's very nonchalant, but I like the way that after the failed assassination attempt, um, Kirk's henchman sort of turns around and says, the booth for him, and Kirk just goes, yeah, the booth. And like it's such an innocuous word, you don't think anything of it. But then, you know, a couple of minutes later, we find out. Oh, actually, right. he's just ordered somebody to be tortured, potentially to death. Um, and it's a very it's it's that really weird because the, the fight in the corridor is very calm. It's right. just like like it's not a, like it's Mark Daniels directed this. It's not a well directed episode when it comes to the fights. Like everything else is well directed, but the fights oh, are yeah. just completely lamentable. So you have this very camp fight. And then you have this offhanded, oh, send him to the booth. And then, and then, like a couple of minutes later, you know, oh, well, actually, he might get tortured to death. It's such a, it's such a tonal shift. But the episode is really good at being able to keep those parts moving. The tonal shift keeps working for the episode. It never, it never loses its footing. It's that. Uh, I just think like the offhand mention of the booth. It, that's so clever to like, you, like you said, like have Kirk accidentally condemn this man to torture at least because he doesn't understand the rules of this universe and just existing in a fascist universe he has to play by its rules and that's just it's saying so much and so little and the worst part for him is he realizes the mistake and when he's asked if he wants the full duration you can see the hesitation in his face because he immediately wants to say let him out and he says I haven't decided yet and it's just killing him to have to say that yeah, it's it it actually is Shatner being surprisingly subtle, which he's not doing when he plays his mirror universe incarnation. Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of great tension in this episode. Uh, and it's also such a relief that Kirk figures out what's going on within seconds. And I you don't have any weird conversation where it's like, what is this? Why is your salute different? Why is the insignia different? Uh, because that would just slow things down so much. So 
like instantly Kirk is on the uptake. Shatner is playing and very conflicted from the start. And there's this cat and mouse game of how fascist do I have to be to get by? And how can I avoid doing outright fascist things? It's <laughs> like, that's the tension here. And it's such good tension. It's an amazing engine for the story. In, in a way, I kind of almost wish they hadn't cut back to the real Enterprise because it's slightly... I don't want to say it undermines the forward momentum of the episode, but it's like we don't really need to see like scenes of William Shatner freaking out in the brig in order to to have the soldiers. It's already been successfully soldiers. You know, DeForest Kelly gets that line, I wonder what our counterparts are doing on our enterprise. And the answer appears to be overacting. Uh, <laughs> because I mean William Shatner is really chewing the cereal. What will it take to buy you, Spock? <laughs> so oh, yeah. it's not it's not his finest moment in the show but the thing is that this episode doesn't need that it's nice to have like leonard namar's very placid reaction and you know oh. the way that he 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 reacts to this sort of bestial kirk is is very pleasing but the episode doesn't really need it as such i agree it's not needed but it's maybe my favorite moment in the episode just because of the contrast <laughs> of you have kirk mccoy uhura and scott all like struggling to get back to their universe things are out of control this ship is chaos and then back in our universe spock has everything under control he just handled it by himself he figured it out instantly as well and just like locked him up and granted <laughs> he has the home team advantage he has the home uh, base advantage in that situation but still it's just a very fun spock moment that while the rest of the cast is fighting for their lives Spock has it all handled. He's fine by himself. <laughs> I I have to say, though, I will ding this episode for one thing. We were just talking about how they kind of have to stumble their way through how to comport themselves in the mirror universe. But luckily, Kirk has Captain's Woman who speaks perfect exposition. Right. Because when they get to the Tantalus field, she just kind of walks him through it and reminds him and the audience of what exactly this thing does. And it's like, oh, thank God she was willing to be chatty that day. But that that's about the only moment in the entire episode where you have that info dumping being so obvious. Otherwise, it's very subtle. Yeah, I... Like I was saying before, I am very both. I was both surprised, relieved, and excited that it gets the ground running so quickly. By the end of the cold open, we're in the mirror universe, and the characters have picked up on what's going on very quickly, and trust the audience to pick up what's going on too. Like, I mean, they say the words "parallel universe." I think right after that first commercial break, just to so just so you're not totally lost. But otherwise, I mean, yeah, it's just this is a different world and they're stuck in there in their alternate universe bodies. It's a very complex concept, but they just put trust in the audience and get through it. This is one of the episodes that I have to give uh, unusual credit to uh, Gene Roddenberry to as well, as, as long-term listeners to this podcast may be aware. I am not massively enamored of Mr. Roddenberry and his abilities at writing. Um, I believe <laughs> I may have used the word hack in the past. Um, but this is an episode that went through a huge amount of rewrites um, a lot of which were done by Roddenberry and, and, and some really, really key rewrites by DC Fontana as well, um, particularly sort of playing up Marlena and Uhura's role. Um, and like Jerome Bixby deserves a lot of credit for the final episode, but this is really one of those ones where you like sharing 
I think on screen it is just written by Jerome uh, Bixby, but it's uh, it's one where uh, yeah we can we can spread the love around a bit here because there were there were a few uh, sort of authorial voices involved, um, but that process of refinement and that process of um, sort of three people being uh, involved in in the final script, I think is what helps give it that that incredible sort of momentum and the tightness that you were talking about, Kev. It really it really comes through that there isn't. Even like even if I am a bit critical about the overacting in our universe, it's it there really isn't a second wasted in this episode. Every single second of this episode is telling us something about the world that we find our characters in, something about the universe as it's constructed, the politics, the intership dynamic. Like there just isn't a single second. It's such a lean script, and and it's 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 really exhilarating. Right. And it's one of those few times that that rewriting actually improves it. Because uh, from what I understand in my own research, Jerome Bixby's original outline had them uh, beaming back at the same time as the other uh, crew, simply because on the real Enterprise, they were also trying to time it at the same time to get them back. And that would have been too much of a coincidence. It's already enough of a coincidence that they're on the same mission at the same time, which mm. is something that none of the other Mirror epi- Universe episodes do. But you kind of hand wave that because it's such a good episode in every other way. And also hand wave it because it's just such like a great illustration of the contrast between the two crews. Like it's 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 just such right there on the page. Um, you have Kirk and Co. of our universe failing to get the crystals, and I love that they ultimately fail. That they don't convince these people to give them the crystals by the end. I was totally expecting an ending where it's like, ah, we were monitoring your actions in the other universe, and you truly have proven your pacifism. Here is our resources. No, they <laughs> they just go on their merry way because mm-hmm. they they're a peaceful federation which is like a much stronger sign of discipline and have that contrasted with, we will blow up your planet <laughs> and Kirk giving them a 12 hour grace window is considered abnormally um, peaceful and like uh, diplomatic. So yeah, it's having that just basic level of here is how things are different here is just such great effective grounding for the audience. I feel of like telling the differences and showing how, and it also just kicks that whole mirror universe story in the motion of why is Kirk showing diplomacy to these people? He's not our Kirk. Let's all like get weird about it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really good device that even if it relies on coincidence to happen. I'm really glad it did. There's actually an amazing follow up to this episode, but the problem is I can't necessarily recommend it because. The web series Star Trek Continues Uh. did a sequel. (laughs) And it's actually quite impressive because they reproduce that last scene between Kirk and Mirror Spock talking, and they put the reproduction side by side with the original to open the episode, and it's pitch perfect. And then the rest of the episode is pitch perfect, except for the fact that the actor who plays Kirk in that series is awful. For yeah. many reasons, so you should not watch it, but it is so good otherwise. Who would have thought there's an actor who played Kirk who embodies more of the toxic aspects of Kirk than William Shatner? <laughs> True. But yeah, when my reaction starts to continues, I am very well aware of um, that person's misdeeds. <laughs> so, 
yeah, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I it is just such like a great, I think, device to have the parallel um, stories that both crews are going through uh, when they tra- cross over. And I just love that also it's an enemy arrest thing. It's like, yeah, they this is at the end of a different episode where they didn't get the crystals, but they won respect instead. And then we get into our current action. It's it's all just again so efficient, no second wasted. Even the simplest of um, techniques here in order to communicate information visually works so well. It's just like the flipping of the film to show the Enterprise traveling in the other direction. Mm-hmm. It's such a simple way to demonstrate. Oh, actually, we're somewhere else. It's it. I mean, it's not even. It's barely even qualifies as editing, but it's that's that's as plus what it is, um, and it's really effective. And that that um, when when we do spin from the uh, mirror universe uh, back to our universe, it's that flip round way of editing, which is usually just like a cheesy way of moving between one scene to another. But here, it's actually used again as a way of sort of visually communicating information. Oh, right, now we're back in our universe. It's it's really straightforward, really simple, but incredibly clever in the way that it communicates information to the audience without the need for and now we are back in our universe so here is the explanation nope you just get that reverse and that's great yeah it's like you said a very well directed episode the fight scenes aside because i think uh mark daniels has so many great ideas of what to like subtly change things and communicate what's going on uh i also love that the lighting is different it's a lot darker and shadowier without like sacrificing clarity and the colors are a little different like i feel like there's more greens and purples in some of the backgrounds and then where they usually be it's all just like little things that tip you off that in, like, this episode sorry uh, this episode yeah. got into trouble for its lighting did it yes so uh it, it was it was noted that uh, Star Trek was suddenly being lit a lot differently in this episode, and it was it was very intentional. It was in order to to bring some more color into the scenes, in order to throw up the uh, contrast with uh, our Enterprise, uh, but also to just generally start lighting the show in a more interesting way. And um, some suits from NBC came down and and sort of saw what was going on and tried to get them to put it back the way uh that it had been before because um color being still relatively new there was this theory that oh the color will take care of itself you don't have to worry about it but they were trying to get a more cinematic feel um towards uh the way the show looked on screen so things like what you know the cutter the vertical light that cuts across people's faces uh, letterbox lighting all those kind of techniques were starting to come into regular use in the show now and they all came together in this episode and the the the, the top brass were not happy about it and again to his credit gene Roddenberry basically told them to to, to do bunk and i said no no we're going to shoot it um the way that we want to it was an yet another of so very very many black marks against his name uh with with nbc um but to be fair he stood up for his director and and you know like you said kev it's immediately such a visually striking episode because of the way that it's lit but yeah it, it was not without its controversy yeah i'm, I'm glad he's so up for it like i said it's visually such a rich episode and i'm glad we'll get to see i guess more of that going forward hopefully but yeah it's a lot of great technique here just on the tv scope it has 
I think we I want to talk about Mirror Spock. I think he is fantastic. I mentioned Leonard Nimoy's performance being really good, but I really like how Spock seems like the least changed by this universe in a fun way, where he's still very logical and um that's that's kind of why he switches to their side by the end. Um it's a little cheesy almost. The act of compassion melts the heart of the evil people <laughs> and suddenly they can discover good. But it does make sense that it's Spock because he's always the most logical person. He's, I mean, if you're in D&D terms, he'd be the most neutral as opposed to lawful of the Enterprise crew. <laughs> and, or neutral as opposed to good, which however you want to frame it. But still, he was, he'd be, um, like, it does just make sense that he's sort of this center point between the two. He's not trying to kill Kirk. For um for self motivated reasons, he's trying to kill Kirk for orders reasons, but not self motivated reasons either. Unlike Chekhov and Zulu, mm-hmm. and he's still very terrifying yes. when he makes that uh, threat to Sulu about, oh, yeah. "Well, if you should take me out, my my bodyguards will take their revenge, and some of them are Vulcans." And that line mm-hmm. is just such a moment of sheer badassery. And it's another one where uh, George Takei gets some praise as well, because he looks like really scared when when uh, when Spock trots out that line. Understandably so, even even when we see uh, you know like Spock mind melding with McCoy and sickbay towards the end of the episode, like McCoy just appears so shaken up by that experience, like he doesn't get another line after that until the text scene. Um, and it's another great sort of non-verbal way of communicating just what it is that Spock is is capable of doing. Yeah, I always wondered about that, because as soon as Spock grabs him, McCoy immediately freezes and just seemingly cannot move. And you think, is this something our Spock could do, but just doesn't because it's too injurious to someone to do it? It's 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 a really unsettling moment. Yeah, uh, it really is. And I mean, even though you have sort of our Spock at the end um, making the joke about how, oh, these mere people are so treacherous and brutal, just like all humans, I guess. I mean, he also is like a flip. Like I said, it, he's flipping the least, but there is still an edge to him. That uh, I think it's the subtlety of it that Nimoy plays really well, of not being over the top, uh, smiling, twirling mustache, licking their lips evil, like Chekhov and the Sulu are but still bringing an air of menace whenever the bearded Spock is on screen. And I like the fact that when it comes to that Spock, he really isn't, like people always talk about, oh, evil Spock, but he isn't. He's he's a product of the environment that he grew up in. He doesn't really have, you know, he's happy in his position. He wants to be able to get on with it. He will do what he needs to because that's the practical order of the universe that he is in. But he's not actually, in inverted commas, evil and he is obviously open to uh being persuaded to if to excuse the expression sort of you know logical persuasion and the whole fact that when he finds out about the the universe he immediately understands everything and why you know our crew must get back um not just so that he can get his own crew back but simply because it reorders the universe in a way that he understands but none of it is again, in inverted commas, evil. Like, Sulu is being played as straight evil. And frankly, right. it's remarkable how easy it is to buy him as that kind of uh, security chief, the, the, the guy that, you know, has an eye and everything. 
um, who's even monitoring Spock's communications at one point, and his lame excuse of, oh, I, I was about to contact you, uh, that's all. <laughs> um, frankly, fooling no one, sir. Um, but it's just very easy to buy uh, Sulu into that role, which, again, great reflection on Kai, who's, you know, we've mostly seen just be this incredibly likable guy who's on the ship. Um, same with Chekhov. Chekhov's got the big leering grin when he's gonna thinks he's gonna be able to take out Kirk, and you know he's been freed of his beetle wake, so that helps his credibility <laughs> a great deal. Um, and all those little things, you know, it it just all adds up to they are playing evil versions of themselves. But Spock isn't, and that gives it so much more impact that he's not just a, a you know he's not just a sort of Machiavellian mustache twirler. Yeah, he seems to be there simply because it's the practical thing to do. Even when Kirk confronts him and says, uh, logically, can this empire survive? And he says, no, it'll it'll burn itself out in about 200 years. And he's more than willing to just let it do so, because it's better than anything else that he can consider at the moment. And that's just a practical decision rather than an evil one. There's the line, you're a man of integrity in both universes, Mr. Spock. He, he is still beneath it all, Spock. And yeah, and I like that he still like has some kind of affection for his universe's Kirk. Even before he's fully aware of the switch, he's tipping Kirk off like, hey, I'm supposed to kill you in four hours. Just a heads up. <laughs> it's a, It really speaks a lot to that relationship that we don't ever really see on camera, but we understand is like like it's not reversed from our universe the way so many things are they are still these like compatriots in this other universe i've spoken to hr and and your life is in danger but we have to follow procedure here you know there are forms that need to be filled out everybody has to be approved there's a whole chain of custody thing that needs to go on but once hr has signed it off like you are dead man you are in the ground <laughs> and he's probably just happy that Kirk took out Pike because if Kirk is so bad in the mirror universe, imagine just how much worse Pike would have been. Oh yeah. Oof. Good how Lord. many people would have been poisoned at his little crew breakfasts and dinners? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, I know it, Mirror Universe is so hack and overplayed in Star Trek and everywhere at this point. But just the thought of that. I mean, do you think Strange New Worlds has a Mirror Universe episode in them? Do you think they could do it well? Or would you throw your hands oh, up in the air at that, JG? I, I would only throw my hands up if they did it badly. You know, if, as, long as, as long as they make it. I, I, I must be honest. I had a lot of big questions over whether the crossover with Lord Dex is going to work. And they nailed it. So, uh, you know, I, I, you know they, they can take swings, which connect surprisingly well. So I'd be... I'd be happy for them to to give it a go, even though honestly, I never actually need to see another mirror episode oh. in, in Star Trek for as long as I'm still growing breath. I worry I about care. them doing it because they would have to make reference to the Discovery episodes uh, because yeah. it's not too long after those, and it's like, yeah. okay, yeah, let's not do that. Like, Whereas I have to say the the episode of Enterprise, the where they did the mirror universe was really quite good as a result of everything that that was one of the few episodes of that series that really shone from out from the rest of them here's the thing with any tv show that can somehow get its actors in sort of a like doubled situation like this it's so much fun for an actor to play a different character like 
in the same sort of mode, if that makes sense. Like this is what Fringe was so good at was like it basically oh, yeah. taking the same concept and running with it. And you know, the Strange New World's cast would have a ball playing evil versions of themselves as they do whenever, like like the Ren Fair episode, as I affectionately call it, or other <laughs> things like that. Um, whenever they have to play alternate universe versions of themselves. It's just like you like you raised the specter of the continuity that they'd have to deal with. It was probably too much of a headache, but uh, the, I still think there would be fun there with the cast at least. But yeah, it's it is almost too much of a lore heavy concept for this universe to bear, and best to find other ways for actors to play different characters in silly ways as they've done. Absolutely. Um, one thing I would also like to sort of draw attention to in this episode is is how subtle it is in places like the big uh like logo with earth with a sort of you know mm. oh, zelda yeah. sword through the middle of it is, oh, is yeah. not it's not subtle um but there are some moments where i really do appreciate um how much thought has gone into it and um, the, the the scene after the um is it after the agony booth, I think it is, where Kirk and Spock are walking down a corridor, and it's the it's the one where um you know uh, Kirk's saying, oh you know you don't want to make an enemy of me, Mister Spock, uh, a desperate trying to kind of bluff his way through it, and Spock saying, well no you don't want to make one of me, mate, um and they've both got henchmen <clears throat> behind them, they don't have any lines, they're never really referred to, they don't have any lines until after the conversation is over. I think Kirk's one then gets a, a order search or something like that. Um, but Spock's got his hench guy there as well, and he's Vulcan, yeah. and it's yeah. it's never it's never referred to. It, there's not a single line of dialogue. It's never pointed out. There's not even a, a sideways glance. But he's got this other Vulcan on board the ship, which is not in any way true in in our universe. We never see another Vulcan on the Enterprise, um, and it's such a a lovely subtle reinforcement of you know, where Spock is as a character and how this universe functions, that he has his um, his henchman or his bodyguard be there and his Vulcan. And it also adds that little bit of extra sort of resonance to the line, you know, that Sulu was told, you know, some of them are Vulcan. Yeah, and one of them's right here, mate. So you better watch yourself. <laughs> Uh, it's such a it's such a it's such a lovely piece of, of detail and it sketches in so much about this universe. And I mean you're right, the the signia with the sword and the earth is not subtle um on the face of it, but I do like that they never draw attention to it. It's just one of the many things where it's like you see it, we don't need to point it out to you, you the audience can figure out what's going on. It's yeah, I it's just a recurring theme I come back to in discussing this episode is just so much uh, trust in the audience to pick things up so they can just keep moving. Unlike Discovery, when they do the mirror <laughs> universe, it's definitely not subtle there, unfortunately. Yeah, it's everything needs to be over-explained in a lot of, I think, speculative fiction these days, even though it's a concept we've seen a hundred times before. So it's just all the more impressive that this is like, at least for mass audiences, the idea of a sort of double universe might be a new concept and they just run with it. It's it's really impressive how much faith they have. It is kind of a shame continuity wise that DS9 tells us that Spock was successful in the mirror universe, but mm. unfortunately not in a good way <laughs> because the mirror universe and the DS9 universe is uh, run essentially by, if I remember correctly, the Bajorans and the Cardassians. And it's like, uh, okay, maybe they shouldn't have tried to convince him 
quite as much as they should yeah. have. And it's also just a bummer to hear because I like how ambiguous it is. Like we almost don't need to check in again. It's are is the mirror Spock going to set things on a different path? We don't know. We almost don't need to know. The question is more interesting than the answer. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Yeah. If, Agreed. If, if 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 DS9 and Discovery uh, parallel universes of uh, episodes have taught us anything, that that is absolutely what it has taught us. Yeah. The question is much more satisfying than than any kind of answer that you can get out of it. And you know, look, I do understand why they wanted to go back to this sandbox. You know, it's such a compelling concept, and by the time. DS9 sort of rides around, you know, it's 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 so embedded in, in pop culture. It's so much part of the, the background scenery. And I, I completely get why they went back to it. But yeah, if this had just been a one and done, it, that kind of would be perfect. Mm-hmm. I will say, though, if they hadn't gone back, we would not have Philippa Georgia in the Star Trek universe, or the dark version of her. And that's probably one of the best things that, that new new Trek has done. I think I anything that gives us more Michelle Yeoh, I'm on board with. It's such a tortured path to get her there, but once yes. she was sort of <laughs> once she was there, she was a very fun character. <laughs> and I mean, I don't have high expectations for that long development tortured process. Now directs to streaming movie she's going to be a star of, but mm. we'll see. <laughs> Right. I at least will, I'll take more of her at least. Exactly. Yeah, it's hard to uh, hard to deny anybody who. Uh, sorry, pardon me. It's hard to deny anything that will give us uh, a bit more uh, Michelle Yeoh, Oscar winning Michelle Yeoh in yes. the Star Trek universe. So uh, yeah, I I also don't have much faith in that because I think Discovery kind of. Um, oh, what's the polite way of saying pissed her character away? Um, that i'm sure there's a more articulate way of saying it but that's what i mean um jg they had to write her off because she had to star in the spin-off tv series that now became a movie (laughs) that's not gonna be (laughs) (laughs) oh that show's been cancelled you say after the next season what tragedy right okay let's get back on course um (laughs) yeah i don't know what else to say about this episode it's just it's so good it's just absolutely outstanding. It's such a great example of Star Trek, and I'm, I, I, it was so delightful to uh, to revisit it again because I, I haven't watched this episode in a very long time, and uh, it, it's it's a joy to be able to come back to it. Yeah, I guess the little things I want to talk about. The, I love that Evil Kirk does have a little computer in his room that just zaps people. It's <laughs> it's a little bit of Deus Ex Machina, but uh, sure, it's, it's a fun concept still, and. Uh, I I know the fight scene choreography isn't good, but I like the concept of doing a big overhead master shot for the big fight against Mirror Spock, where the four of our people sort of gang up on him, and he sort of fights them back before being overpowered. It's it's a interesting way to sort of frame it, even if it is just sort of people flinging themselves left and right, and then Kirk and Spock get in close quarters, and you hear the weakest sound slap fully <laughs> you could ever hear. But... Yeah, that's. I appreciate the swing at least. I do have to wonder what the Enterprise IT department thought when Mirror Kirk had that installed in his computer. Because <laughs> <trail. laughs> I don't think it's something he could have done on his own. 
Unless he uh, inherited it from Pike, in which case the question still stands. They probably thought, let me program a few lines in here so it can't be used on me and I'm cool with this. Right. <laughs> well, as, as somebody who works in IT, I think it would probably must be, oh, Christ, what the hell does the chief want now? Oh, no. I don't... Why is always the boss? We're not allowed to give these killing devices to any other member of the crew. Why does he get a special one? It's like having a manager that insists on having a Mac rather than a PC because he's really right. special. This is the Enterprise is a, Enterprise Mirror Universe is equivalent of Kirk getting a Mac. That's my... Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Did he actually pay the licensing fee for that software? Because I, it's not on my budget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a bit, a couple bits of trivia for this episode. Sure. Because I did some, you know, quick slapdash research, and I was not aware that Sulu is the only original Star Trek character to have worn all three uniform colors as of this episode. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. True. that is true. Yep. And it's also the episode that may have provided the most samples for Information Society's Peace and Love Incorporated album, because there are three different songs that have samples from this one episode. Huh. There you go which I never knew before. And something and one last thing for JG. IMDb claims that this episode didn't directly inspired Blake 7. I don't know how that's possible. I don't believe well, so I have I've heard something which is <laughs> I think inspired is not quite the right they, I mean, because Star Trek uh, and and Blake Seven are often seen as kind of like mirror images of each other, which you know, better mirror, mirror. Of course, there's a certain logic in that. The idea that Terry Nation put as much thought into something of that like that <laughs> is frankly impossible. Um, yeah. Terry Nation sat in a meeting, went um this, and scribbled something on a bit of paper, and they went, yeah, right. And and then and I so I suspect a lot of that is retrofitted. I think it's retconned onto onto the existence of Blake Seven. There's no way this happens. Oh uh, yeah, Terry Nation sat down and went, "Oh, I've got a great idea for the anti version of this show." <laughs> but it's yeah. that now. Nah, no, that's way too, especially for 1970s Terry Nation. Yeah, no, I not thought that was a bit of a stretch. <laughs> yeah, I guess my one last fact from Memory Alpha is that this is the only mention of Christopher Pike outside of Menagerie. But yes. I do like that he is mentioned. It's a little bit of continuity yeah. where you don't usually see that attention to the detail in this mm-hmm. day and age. Uh, day and age being the 60s, of course. Now we are suffering under too much continuity and detail uh, if you watch any uh, Star Wars or Star Trek show. Yep, he manages to escape his fate as a bump and go figure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, final thoughts? I think that was my final thought. <laughs> it's nice that they mentioned Pike again. <laughs> no, I completely agree. It's it's a lovely little continuity point, but uh, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't know. It's just nice to see the show paying attention. But that's all all the all of this episode is. This is the show paying attention. I mentioned this now because I know what's coming next. <laughs> right. Sorry, I do too, and I can't stop laughing thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because you don't have to come back for another year. <laughs> You're off the hook. We have to. We have to put up with it. Sorry, Kev. I'm, uh, this is not fair on you. You should be able to go into the next episode without the expectation of our opinions of it burdening you in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, true. 
Uh, all right. Uh, oh, I, I've got I've got the shout out. How funny it is that the uh, Empire salute is just the Nazi salute. They just didn't change it. They just it's the <laughs> same thing. There. Yeah. There's also a mention of the Gestapo. So yeah, it's yeah the ancient Gestapo. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely deliberate. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like lack of subtlety in a way that is like fun, immediate. I mean, you know what I mean by fun. It's just like yeah. it's an easy <laughs> reference point that. Uh, again, works well in just getting you very well adjusted to this universe. Um, right? I, I guess that means it's time to grade it. Um, JG, do you want to go first? Uh, yeah, sure. Nine and a half. I think I'm going to go really, really high on this. I just adored every second of it. Um, I'm not really sure what I'm knocking the half mark off for. Other than there's a couple of other episodes that I think are marginally better that probably deserve full tens. Um, so it's less it's less that this one does anything wrong right. and more that others do just a little bit more right. But yeah, this is just such a terrific episode of television. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm on the exact same page as you, but because my brain can only handle 10 numbers instead of 20, I have to round that up to a 10. It's a 10 for me. Excellent. Tony? I completely agree. In fact, I was rather surprised to find that IMDb gives it a 9 out of 10. And I need to do the same thing, though I know exactly why I'm knocking off that point. It's because of that one scene with Lieutenant Exposition and the weirdness of them being on the same mission at the same time, though I completely understand the necessity of doing it. That being said, yeah, everything else is just miraculous about this episode there are fewer there are a few episodes that are more miraculous obviously and i think jg and i would agree on which ones those are but yeah this is definitely a nine absolutely incredible excellent lovely well i think we can probably um stop oiliger traps and put this episode <laughs> to one side and move on to recommendations uh so tony what would you like to recommend for us I would like to recommend the second season of the Netflix series Heartstopper. If no one, and, and the first season too, and the graphic novel it's based on if no one's read it, because it is just the sweetest gay love story I have read in years. It's one of the few things that's made me wish I were a teenager again, because I'd never want to be. It, it's just a very, very good series, and it is available on Netflix, uh, seasons one and two. They are doing season three, and the graphic novel is continuing to be published. So I would suggest all of it. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Uh, Kev, what would you like to give us this week? Uh, I want to talk about these four shorts that debuted, the finished premiering on Netflix as of the day of this recording. But uh, it will be like three weeks old by the time you hear this. So probably because it's a Netflix thing, totally memory-hold and forgotten. But I want to encourage you to go back if you haven't seen them. Uh, Wes Anderson's shorts based off the Roald Dahl short stories. Uh, these are The Wonderful Tale of Henry Sugar, uh, The Swan, Poison, and The Rat Catcher. I switched the order of the latter two came out in, but you get the idea. Um, Henry Sugar is the marquee one but honestly kind of the weakest of it it all of them are kind of an interesting uh, conceit where he filmed all four shorts with the same group of six actors uh benedict cumberbatch ray fines who in addition to other roles also plays Roald dahl uh dev patel richard iode 
Rupert Friend and Ben Kingsley. And they're all very good, but the conceit of all four short stories is, having not read the short stories themselves, I can't say it with 100% accuracy, but it feels like the stories are being read to you line for line, all narration and all dialogue and everything intact, with the actors sort of enacting it out while saying everything that was on the page. So you have like these actors like saying long monologues of like description and passages and then switching when it's like time for dialogue or time for a character to interject. And occasionally cutting to Ray Fiennes, as Roald Dahl has mentioned, uh, when he needs to, uh, basically doing narration if no other character makes sense to say what he's saying. So it's a very unusual conceit, and because you know it's with Sanderson, very twee, because also with Sanderson, the visuals are incredible. It's just everything is done with like a very stage-like uh, atmosphere. Things are very artificial, of course, but even more so than usual, you have like text coming in and bringing in props and taking them out or changing sets. You have these incredible shots where people move from location to the other as if they're like falling through little dollhouses. Um, and some of the props are abstract, especially when it comes to the swan. A lot of things, if you know that short story, all the action in it has to be abstracted because it's on such a tight budget and you wouldn't want to see those things happen actually to someone. So it is just very abstracted, very unusual, but very interesting. Uh, to go back to what I said earlier, Henry Sugar is, I think, the hardest one for me to love. Maybe it's because it's the first one and the longest, so it was hard to wrap my brain around what he was doing with this whole every line of the story is spoken conceit and why. And it's also, I think, the weakest of the four stories just on its own. It's just sort of, what if this weird thing happened? Whereas the other three have a little more meat to them. Uh, but the other three shorter... Then the Henry Sugar one's about a half hour if you take out the credits, maybe a little more. The other three are about 15 minutes each, and they are all... I think with the reduced runtime, it's much more to the point. Uh, the conceit wears on you a little less, and they're just they're just also great little um, ideas and contained in these little shorts. Uh, I love the Swan specifically. I think that one is heartbreaking and beautiful. And Rupert Friend, who takes center stage in that one, is just giving an incredible performance. But I would love to see him or uh, Benedict Cumberbatch or Dev Patel work with Wes Anderson again. They work so well with his material. I think this is the first appearance for all of them. Uh, I know Ray Fiennes has worked with Anderson before and been great. And Ben Kingsley is pretty good in his Ben Kingsley mode, but I don't think he's as adept at Anderson as the other three, but those other three... Oh, and Iode is also great for Wes Anderson dialogue, as you'd imagine. But given recent comments by him, I'd be less enthused to see him show up in a Wes Anderson future production. Uh, but yes, the other three are, are just phenomenal and would love to see them again in... Uh, something he does. But yeah, if you're a Wes Anderson fan, I uh, highly recommend you check those four shorts out. If you're not, probably stay away because they're very Wes Anderson-y. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, I haven't had the chance to catch them yet, but I will definitely be uh, taking the opportunity when it comes up. Um, I am going to recommend uh, this episode, uh, Stop Making Sense, which is the 1984 concert film uh, by Talking Heads. Uh, it's just gone through a, a 4K uh, IMAX re-release at time of recording. I'm guessing it's going to be probably out of theatres by the time this episode actually drops. 
but I couldn't I couldn't pass up the opportunity uh, to talk about what is probably the greatest concert film of all time and one of my all time sort of favorite bands. It's an astonishing uh, re-release. It's one of those things where I know it gets really boring when people kind of bang on about, hey, well, you know, you have to see it and dot, dot, dot. Or, you know, it has to be this thing. As you have, for God's sake. Um, but honestly, it's spectacular. If you get the opportunity to see it in an IMAX theater, it's well, well worth doing. I mean, music is peerless. That goes beyond saying. But the sheer amount of energy that it manages to capture is just remarkable. And one of the things that it really excels at is that it doesn't um, it doesn't dilute the original in any way. But although it's a, a lovely restoration and the sound mix is just utterly incredible, it also doesn't enhance it in any way. So there's no like extra tracks or bonus material or whatever. Like there's a Q and A tact in the end of it, but it really is at the end of it. It, it doesn't it doesn't sort of inveigle its way into the main production at all so what we get is uh, just what was released originally in 1984 just restored and that's perfect that's exactly the right kind of approach to take to it uh the music is flawless the performances are great everybody knows about big suit blah 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 all that stuff i won't bore everybody with all the all the familiar details but the the the, the remastering of it is utterly amazing i hope it's going to get a blu-ray release i hope it's going to be available uh i certainly know that the the, the fully expanded soundtrack is is already available um but i hope that the hope the the restoration is going to get a, a proper physical uh, media release as well because it is out of this world so that's um yeah stop making sense by talking heads and with that we can probably move on to plugs so tony what would you like to plug I would like to plug the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, of which I am the host. It is currently on hiatus, but there are currently 142 episodes you can make your way through. J.G. McQuarrie is on at least five of them, I believe. That's and possible. that can be found at soundcloud.com forward slash Doctor Who Target BC. And very quickly, I'd also like to plug my YouTube channel, which is... That 70s review in which we discuss 70s TV shows and whether or not they have held up and stood the test of time. You can find that at youtube.com forward slash Emperor Dalek. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And Kev, would you care to tell people how they can get in touch with us? Uh, yes, you can find us on Twitter at Talk Trek to You, on Blue Sky Talking Trek to You. Um, I am on Twitter and Blue Sky at Max Rebo's Roadie, and mostly on Blue Sky these days. Uh, JG's writings is at jgmcquarry.scott. And I know, JG, you have your podcast, Beatles Stuffology, going through the Beatles track by track with your co host, Andrew Deacon. And I have my podcast, Total Massacre, which is, should have been undergoing a reboot. We'll see where it's at. Uh, when this episode comes out, but I think there will be new episodes in your feed if you're following it. And I think my position on the show may have changed a bit to be a bit more frequent than frequent guests. So we'll see how that shakes out. But yeah, the unfortunate thing of recording this three weeks in advance is I don't know how that has shaken out yet. I'm recording the first episode of the return and the expanding of scope beyond action movies to uh, whatever genre the main host and creator Owen Kaiser wants to talk about in that month. Um, October, I believe we're doing sci-fi horror. So hopefully those episodes will be out uh, when this episode comes out. Fantastic. Thank you very much. And uh, Tony, thank you very much for joining us once again on our trek through the original series of Star Trek. 
And thank you. I look forward to being here again, even if it's during season three. Yeah, well, you know, we all have to pay our penance sometime. Uh, <laughs> yes. if you had me discussing Ark of Infinity. I have no sympathy. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Fantastic. Lovely. Well, I think we can leave things there for Mirror Mirror. Next episode, well, it's the apple. Um, normally, I sign off these uh, podcasts by saying, uh, and I hope you're going to join us for it. And I do hope you're going to join us for it, but I also kind of understand if you don't. So you're off the hook there for the next episode. But anyway, like I said, I would hate to burden Kev with the uh, the, the, <laughs> the, the, the unnecessary, uh, you know, uh, opinions of us before he's had the opportunity to see it, uh, you know, free of, uh, free of prejudice. So I'll just leave it there. Next episode of Seattle. Join us if you can stand it. Uh, and until then, keep talking. Thank you.